Hello everyone. I am currently sick as a dog. I don't want to put y'all through an entire episode where I sound and look like this. So this episode is going to be from the Patreon archive. This video was recorded in October 2023. After you watch all of that, at the end I will give you a bunch of updates that have since happened. So stick around for that. But I do think you all will find this episode interesting because there are some things that I talk about that aren't widely known to the public. So let's just get into it. So the case I want to talk about today is very recent and you might have heard about it. There is going to be a lot of screenshots and documents and news clips in this. So I encourage you to watch this as a video, but if you can only listen to the audio, that works too because... I'll be talking about everything in detail. So let's start with the press release from the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. This was released on October 5th. It says on the evening of October 3rd, 2023, deputies of the Fremont County Sheriff's Office were dispatched to 31 Warner Road, Penrose, Colorado, in reference to a suspicious incident. Upon the arrival, deputies learned that the building was owned by the Return to Nature Funeral Home based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. On October 4th, 2023, FCSO investigators, the Fremont County Coroner's Office, and the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies executed a search warrant on the property and determined that human remains were improperly stored inside the building. As of October 5th, 2023, the Fremont County Sheriff's Office is working with the Fremont County Coroner's Office, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, the Colorado Department of Public Health, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And the rest of this is just info for people that used the Return to Nature Funeral Home Services to email and or call and receive support so that they can continue this investigation. So, of course, after this press release, the media jumps on this and immediately heads to the scene trying to find out more information about this funeral home and how bad this truly was because the sheriff's office never said a number. They just said that there was improperly stored human remains. The clip I'm about to play you is from NBC Channel 9 News, I believe, and this is what they reported on October 5th after this announcement. Something terrible has happened at the Colorado funeral home yet again. The sheriff in Fremont County says his deputies found human remains stored improperly at a funeral home east of Pueblo. Yeah, this sounds pretty serious. Nine News reporter Cole Sullivan is in Penrose tonight where people are waiting to learn more about what happened to their loved ones. People here in Penrose don't know what happened. They don't know how long human remains have been improperly stored inside the return to nature funeral home behind me and they don't know whose remains they are. The sheriff's office isn't saying, but slowly pieces of the mystery are starting to come out. Police tape around a hearse is not the only sign something is wrong here. Neighbors say they've noticed a smell. Depends on which way the wind's coming, but never paid a whole lot of attention to it. Didn't pay attention until the sheriff's office and FBI showed up. People who trusted this funeral home want to know what's going on. There's a lot of other people out there right now, just like me, who spent the morning crying. The sheriff's office set up a special hotline for people with questions about loved ones. This return to nature locations registration with the state expired last November. The other location in Colorado Springs has an active license and no complaints. 
but no one came to the door, answered the phone, nor replied to our email. The funeral home advertises green burials, where bodies are not embalmed and are sometimes interred in wicker caskets. That's all legal. Colorado has infamously few laws regulating funeral services and is the only state that does not require licenses for funeral home workers. I feel so sorry for the people, the families. Now families here wonder and worry what more they'll find out. Lawmakers we've talked to say they already plan to introduce legislation to regulate people who work in funeral homes. As for what happened here, the sheriff's office plans a press conference tomorrow morning. Tonight, jail records do not show the people who own the company in custody. In Penrose, Cole Sullivan, 9 News. So on this same day, the Office of Funeral Home and Crematory Registration for the state of Colorado sends this document to the Return to Nature funeral home owner. So clearly they've opened a case in the state of Colorado, and this is an order of summary suspension to Return to Nature funeral home. The director of the Divisions of Provisions and Occupations, Department of Regulatory Agencies, Office of Funeral Home and Crematory Registration, having reviewed and investigated all available information as the matters referenced below, hereby finds. So one is stating the registration of the Return to Nature Funeral Home in the state of Colorado, which occurred on August 18th, 2017. John Halford has been the registered designee of the respondent since February 16th, 2021. Number two states that the director has jurisdiction over this registration. Number three says the director reviewed information as a part of an investigation regarding respondent. The information shows that respondent is located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I believe that is the address of the return to nature funeral home business. Respondent is owned and operated by John Halford. On or about October 3rd, 2023, there was a report of an abhorrent smell emanating from a property at 31 Warner Road in Penrose, Colorado. The Penrose property has been registered as a funeral establishment with John Halford as its designee until November 30th, 2022. The funeral establishment at the Penrose property has been doing business as Return to Nature Funeral Home. And that date means that on November 30th of last year, their registration expired. So they were no longer allowed to be operating and doing funeral services at the Penrose location, which is where the human remains were improperly stored. So on October 4th, Zin Mayhu, I probably said that wrong, program director of the Office of Funeral Home and Crematory Registration, spoke on the telephone with Mr. Halford. Mr. Halford, one, admitted to owning the Penrose property. Two, acknowledged that he has a problem at the Penrose property, and three, claimed that he practices taxidermy at the Penrose property. Mr. Halford was amendable to meeting at the Penrose property later in the day to facilitate an inspection. On October 4th, law enforcement executed a search warrant at the Penrose property and determined that human remains were improperly stored inside. John Halford attempted to conceal the improper storage of human remains at the Penrose property. The human remains improperly stored at the Penrose property may be descendant family members of respondent's clients. Respondent failed to permit access to an investigator for inspection on October 5th, as required by section blah blah blah. So based on this information and their investigation, which was finding the human remains, improperly stored at a building that didn't have a registration to practice 
funerals. They determined that this was basically a public emergency and they needed to shut them down immediately. So basically that document was telling them to stop, entirely cease their business because they're being investigated. But still by this point, we don't know how bad it really is. We don't know how many bodies were improperly stored. We're seeing a ton of police activity at the site, but they're being extremely tight-lipped. But then, the following day, October 6th, a bombshell drops. At a press conference, this is what Fremont County Sheriff Alan Cooper and County Coroner Randy Keller had to say. On October the 4th, investigators from the Fremont County Sheriff's Office and the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agency discovered over 115 deceased bodies stored in the Return to Nature Funeral Home at 31 Werner Drive in Penrose, Colorado. Without providing too much detail to avoid further victimizing these families, the air of the funeral home where the bodies were improperly stored was horrific. To give you an idea of the scope of this search, the area to be searched is over 2,500 square feet. With regard to the investigation, there have been no arrests to date, and we don't want to speculate about arrests or possible charges at this time. With the number of decedents we have in this facility and the identification process that needs to be completed, this could take several months. I want to assure everyone that the loved ones in this facility will be treated with the utmost care and respect. Our hearts go out to everyone impacted by this tragedy and we will take every measure possible to get families the answers they deserve. You heard that right. 115 bodies in what appeared to be an abandoned building once used by Return to Nature. This announcement was shocking to everyone because when you look at the reviews of the funeral home on Google, all of them are good. They have like five stars and no one really had anything bad to say. So everyone's wondering how a funeral home with such a good standing in the community could do something so careless and criminal. And what was the funeral home telling these families to make them think that everything was fine? So we're gonna address all of those questions, but first I wanna dive into the owner's background. This is John Michael Halford, and the funeral home business has been a generational career for his family. From 2001 to 2004, John said he worked as a funeral director at his family's funeral home in Muskogee, Oklahoma. He claims to have graduated from Dallas Mortuary School in 2004. Normally, I wouldn't talk about someone's divorce or getting like a seatbelt ticket in this situation, but it's the sheer number of civil and criminal documents that I think is important to talk about because there's just so many. So I just wanted to lay everything out. So in 2002, he filed for divorce from a woman named Kristen after just nine months of marriage. And I believe they have a child together because it mentions custody and visitation. The last filing in this divorce occurred in 2014. So this was a long drawn out divorce and John would actually have several marriages end while that was playing out. In August of 2004, John pleaded guilty to a citation for not wearing his seatbelt. And then we get to September of 2005, and John Halford is charged with assault 
and breaking and entering. This charge was filed in October of 2005, but because John was running for a position in the Muskogee City Council, he thought this was ill-timed and someone was trying to ruin his reputation. I actually couldn't find a full rundown of what happened in the newspaper archives. I don't know why, it just wasn't on there. And I didn't want to pay hundreds of dollars for the old court records. But fortunately, John posted newspaper clippings of this incident on Facebook. So that's where I got it from. Also, speaking of his Facebook, I just thought this was kind of funny. On October 4th at 10.01 a.m., John changed his Facebook profile pic to just a blank image. And that was a day after the police were called about the smell of his Penrose location, where the 115 bodies were found. His Facebook is still open to the public. He hasn't deleted it. He hasn't deleted the Return to Nature Funeral Homes Instagram. The website's still up. Everything's still up if you want to go creep on it. Anyways, this robbery incident involved three men, John Halford and Jason Butler, who were both 26 years old, and an 18-year-old man. This article is titled, Those Involved in Prank Say They're Repentant. And we're just going to read this whole article. We want to get the full picture here. It started out as fun, but as time went on, it was a horror that victims and perpetrators alike would like to make go away. It was on August 20th of last year, that Wagoner residents Jason Butler and John Michael Halford attempted a childish prank that, to hear them tell it, went way too far. For their trouble, both, along with a third man, Dusty Gregory, 18, now serving in the U.S. Navy, received a deferred sentence. They were each ordered by Wagoner County Special District Judge David Nelson to pay a $250 fine, plus court costs and $125 payment to the state through the Victims' Compensation Act. They must also perform 80 hours of community service within 120 days and submit a letter of apology to their victims within 30 days, as well as complete a gun safety course. The judgment to the guilty plea was handed down Thursday, April 6th for the charge of pointing a deadly weapon for both Butler and Halford. Gregory's sentence was the same, but was decided on March 3rd. The whole plan to scare some girls they knew was hatched as Butler and Gregory sat talking. Quote, we were in a restaurant with some others and the idea came up to scare Dusty's sisters, Butler said. His mom and dad were out, but his sisters were at his house. We started planning and everything went wrong. During the planning stage, Butler called Halford, a lifelong friend who was born within seven days of Butler 26 years ago and lived a short distance from him and Wagner. Quote, we planned how to scare them and it would have been enough to just say, boo, that would have been a good practical joke, Butler said. But then, that's when we decided to put on camouflage, masking ourselves so they wouldn't recognize us. Then we entertained the thought of carrying guns, cautious not to have them loaded. To say the least, it ended with a poor lack of judgment. Butler said that at no time were the empty guns pointed at anyone. They were, however, held in their hands, he said. Butler said the case was investigated through Tulsa County after it was aired that Butler was distantly related to one of the Wagner County Assistant District Attorneys. Tulsa County gave their findings to Nelson, who made the final decision on what the sentence would be. Butler said Gregory, who lived at the house, allowed Butler and Halford into the house where the four girls were expected to be. They were present with two boys who the pranksters did not expect to be present. Butler is a longtime Wagner resident who graduated from Wagner High School. Ironically, he is a Sunday school teacher in his church and serves as a Wagner volunteer firefighter. He is the human resources manager at Anarco and is working on his master's degree in business administration at Northeastern State University. Just last week, he was 
was named to receive the President's Award from the Wagner Area Chamber of Commerce for his service to the community. Butler says he has always been a chance taker and a prankster. He added that his realization of what had actually taken place that Saturday night finally hit him, but it was after all the damage had been done. Quote, obviously, my first concern came to be the kids after it was all over. It tore me up that I had caused what happened to the kids, and the fact that I had caused their anguish, he said. Butler said that on Sunday, less than 24 hours after the incident, he heard there was a meeting of parents at one of their homes. He went to the home to apologize. Quote, basically, I wanted to own up to my mistake, Butler said. I apologized to the parents and to the kids. Some of the parents and kids were in tears. I told them I would do anything that could make the situation right. Initially, some of the parents were angry. I wanted them to forgive me then and there, but knew it would take time. When I told Michael, in parentheses John Michael Halford, I did that, he was upset I didn't call him. John Michael Halford currently lives in Muskogee and recently ran for Muskogee City Council, Ward 2. An election last week saw Halford and opponent James Gulley destined for a runoff to be staged May 9th. Halford agrees that he and the other two men did not break into the house, but were let in by Gregory so that the prank could be committed. He said the entire event took about three minutes. But he also agrees with Butler that the end product would never justify the traumatization that was ultimately caused. And finally, we're getting some quotes from Halford. Quote, absolutely stupid this was, Halford said. But we didn't mean any harm. We really used horrible judgment, especially taking the guns. I have to say, it was about the stupidest, most immature thing I've ever done. Halford, who is a member of a Muskogee Baptist church and who is a funeral director in Muskogee, said he, quote, didn't comprehend at the time how really bad this really was. Quote, there have been reports that I held a gun to someone's head or to their stomach, he said. That isn't true. But if there's any emotional damage at all, there's not one day that goes by that I won't think about what I've done. To know that I caused harm to somebody, that just kills me. It's not that I accidentally did what I did. I did it on purpose. What we did was wrong. Halford, who is married and has two sons, ages one and three, said he has tried to put himself in the place of the parents of the children that he frightened. Quote, I'm truly sorry, he said. The families say they don't see any remorse in me. They don't know me. The only time they saw me was in court. Jason Butler said that if he could say anything he wanted to the parents of the children he and the two other men have traumatized, there would be no debate. Quote, I would want to speak with the victims and the victims' parents again, and I'd want to convey my deepest apologies and my sincere regret for what happened that night, and I would want them to forgive me. Three of the families of children who were victimized were contacted for this report. A statement was issued by one of their representatives. Quote, we have very little comment as we are anxious to put this matter behind us. We are satisfied with Thursday's outcome and feel it was a necessary step in the healing process. When I first read about the situation, when it was reported on recently, like other news articles are mentioning and calling back to this incident, no one said that these were children that had guns pointed at them. So it's really crazy that he did this to children, of all things. It wouldn't be right to do it to adults either, but especially traumatizing children like that. I don't know how old they are. They could have been in high school, middle school. I don't really know, but that's extremely awful. And it's crazy that he posted this on his own Facebook. What a weirdo. Also in 2006, another woman named Kristen files for divorce from John. So in just a four-year window, John is going through a second divorce, and this one was even messier. It appears that there was a custody battle, some contempt of court, 
and John possibly not paying child support on time, maybe not at all. And the last filing in this case was made in November of 2022 by John's own lawyer, requesting to withdraw as his attorney. Apparently, John had failed to respond to his attorney after several attempts, and the judge granted this request. Two months before Kristen filed for divorce, John was taken to small claims court by Creditors Recovery Corp. In 2007, this lawsuit mentions garnishing wages from the Foster Petering Funeral Home, so it appears that John was working here at the time. At one point, John filed for exemption from these payments, then didn't show up to court, so it was immediately denied, of course. In 2010, John is now working at the Moore Funeral Home and has nearly $400 of his wage garnished to pay back this company. By 2012, John was ordered to pay a little over $3,600. John was supposed to respond to this order within 30 days, but he didn't. The last motion to answer this garnishment of wages was filed in November of 2012, but back to 2007. He was again taken to small claims court, this time by the Muskogee Regional Medical Center for an amount over $5,000. I don't know what happened with this case because the filings that I can see appear to stop in February of that year, so I don't know what happened with that at all. But just two years later, John is taken to small claims court again, this time by the Highland Crossings Apartment Complex for forcible entry and detainer for less than $1,500. John didn't show up to his court date, so a default judgment was awarded to the complex for $1,050. And from what I read about these terms, uh, specifically forcible entry and detainer, it seems like John was accessing an apartment despite not paying for it or something like that. Six months later, a third woman named Chandra files for divorce. John shared young children with Chandra as well, and the divorce was granted in December of that year. For reasons unknown, there was another filing made in this case in 2019, but I'm not sure what it means. I couldn't tell from the tiny little context I was given on the court website, because you have to pay if you want those documents. Two years after the divorce was filed in 2011, John was given a citation for driving while his license was canceled, but that was ultimately dismissed by the judge. That's all I could find on John Halford in the Oklahoma courts, but I want to talk about the year 2012. A lot of this is going to be speculation, um, so take it with a grain of salt. But I thought it should be mentioned considering the recent investigation into John's funeral home. This involves the unsolved disappearance of a woman in his town. Okay, thanks, Damon. This morning, we're hearing from the children of a missing Oklahoma woman. Someone last saw Kelly Harris in Bixby on July 3rd. Police say she left home to get supplies for a 4th of July party. She never returned. KOCO's Rachel Calderon is live with what her children are saying this morning. Good morning, Maggie, Rachel. Wendell, good morning. It's just heartbreaking. They're calling Kelly the glue of their family. And while they still don't know what happened, Kelly's son, Bradney Chitwood, just wants closure. I haven't quite faced the fact that, you know, she may not be coming back, but I know it's a possibility. Um, and, it, I, you know, I'd just like to get to the point where, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, I, I want to find out because the not knowing is the worst part about this whole thing. Officers found her car parked in an apartment complex on Friday. Now the Pixby Police Department is in the process of getting a search warrant and they hope to search through that area to find some of her belongings. Police originally thought that her disappearance may have been stress related, but they now say foul play.
is likely possible. This article is from Tulsa World, printed July 11th, 2012. Bixby woman missing since July 3rd sought. Foul play could be involved in her disappearance, police say. And this is by Susan Hilton. Bixby. Police fear that foul play could be involved in the disappearance of a Bixby woman who has been missing since July 3rd. The family of Kelly Harris, 48, is seeking the public's help to find her. If she is out there somewhere, they want her to come home. Quote, it's the most helpless feeling in the world, her husband Bob Harris said. The unknown. It's unbelievable. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Kelly Harris was last seen by her family July 3rd when she left their home in the 13800 block of South Mingo Road, police said. She later visited a male friend in the 4400 block of West Madison Street in Broken Arrow, where she is reported to have left about 4.45 p.m. in her car, a champagne-colored 2000 Chrysler Cyrus with Oklahoma license tag 316GZY and a front license plate that says, Vikings, number one. Her son, Bradney Chitwood, said none of the family knows that friend personally. Sergeant Andrew Choate said there has been no activity on Harris's cell phone or bank account. Quote, we're leaning towards the fact that something tragic may have happened, he said. Police do know that Harris went to the store the day of her disappearance and bought groceries. Like a lot of people early last week, Harris was busy with preparations for a 4th of July celebration at home with her family. Her family said she had been cleaning her house and buying food for a cookout. They said she was captured on video at Walmart and that she was carrying about $800 in cash. She had purchased fireworks, a fireworks permit, and had even had a fire extinguisher ready just in case. Bob Harris said he knew something was wrong when his wife hadn't come home the morning of July 4th. He said he called her cell phone, but it went straight to voicemail. When Kelly Harris didn't show up for the cookout about 5 p.m., he said he reported her missing. Family members say it is unusual for Kelly Harris to be gone long and that she would always return phone calls with a text message or a call and let them know her whereabouts. Chitwood is engaged to be married soon and Harris's daughter, Ashley Shockley, is preparing to give birth next month to her first child. Relatives also find it hard to believe that Harris would disappear willingly even if she were stressed over getting everything done for the party. Quote, she was nervous about the cookout, but the 4th of July was one of her favorite holidays, Shockley said. She was in a good mood. Harris sometimes stayed out late at area casinos, usually the River Spirit on Riverside Parkway in Tulsa, but police say there was no record of her being at any of the casinos. Chitwood said she had a player's card and that it hasn't been used since June 22nd. Quote, she wouldn't not come home because of a loss at the casino, he said. Bob Harris said he's not willing to believe that foul play is involved. Quote, the outcome of that can't be good, he said. I'll go with she just got stressed out. I have to hang on to hope. Harris has recently left her job in housekeeping at an assisted living facility and was looking into going into a cleaning business with some of her co-workers. Harris is 5 foot 4 inches tall and weighs about 120 pounds. She has brown eyes and brown hair and was last seen wearing a yellow t-shirt blue jeans, and a white Nike athletic shoes, police said. Bob Harris said his wife's car, although technically champagne-colored, actually looks charcoal gray. Police Chief Ike Shirley said authorities are continuing to follow all leads. So two things I want to highlight from that newspaper article, and the first thing is the fact that Kelly Harris went to visit a male friend right before she disappeared. And the other thing I want to highlight is the fact that she was about to start a cleaning business with some of her coworkers. And this is where we move on to how I even heard about this and what it has to do with John Halford. Well, I posted a TikTok of the return to nature funeral home situation and someone commented and asked if I had seen the thread about him on Web Sleuths. 
and his potential connection to that case. So now I'm going to read this web sleuth thread. And when I first read it, my jaw dropped. So the first post is dated July 26th, 2012, uh, less than a month after Kelly Harris disappeared. This was posted by a member named Knox. And I'm not going to read this whole thread, just the things that stuck out to me and the things that made my jaw drop. So patrolling officers found her 2000 Chrysler Cyrus parked with the windows down at Bristol Park Apartments in East Tulsa Friday. And that was within a few weeks of her disappearing. And they link this article. And this article was posted Wednesday, July 25th. Bixby police are hoping an upcoming search warrant will lead to new evidence in the disappearance of a Bixby mother. 48-year-old Kelly Harris was last seen July 3rd. She was running errands. Walmart surveillance video places her grocery shopping in the afternoon. Police said her daughter ran into her in the driveway before Harris left to pick something up from her friend Michael's house. She had told Michael she had to run an errand. When she did not return home, her family reported her missing the next day. And then Sergeant Andy Choate said he hopes a search warrant will lead to Harris's belongings. He plans to search the place in question within 24 hours of receiving the warrant. So this person, Michael, is the name of the friend that she went to visit right before she disappeared. This is John Michael Halford. Apparently he used to go by his middle name a lot. So right before Kelly disappeared, she went to go visit John Michael Halford. And John Michael confirmed that Kelly Harris had visited him, but that she left and went to go run errands. Back to the web sleuth thread. One of the news articles mentions that Kelly Harris took the groceries home. So she went to the Walmart, took the groceries home, and then visited a friend in Broken Arrow. And that friend in Broken Arrow is John Michael Halford. And then another user named Surfy Texas posted a little map. A is where friend lives. B is where car was found. And then on July 27th, Surfy Texas posts another Google Maps thing. A is the friend's house, Michael's old house, John Michael Halford's old house. B is the car. C is the home of Kelly Harris. And D is the Walmart. So with that, Kelly Harris, at least by car, never turned around and went to come home. She, or whoever was driving her car, headed north. So on this thread, people are pointing suspicion towards Kelly Harris's husband and also towards the friend, Michael. On July 31st, people were wondering if the search warrant that authorities executed had found anything, and member Knox said nothing was found in the apartment search. And I don't know if they searched an apartment at the apartment complex where her car was found or if they searched John Halford's apartment, but either way, nothing was found. So by August, just a month later, people were saying in this thread that there's been no updates and it seems like the case has just dropped out of the news completely. So there's posts in this thread from 2013 and 2014 and then the conversation stops until June of 2019. And it comes from a member named Justice72. And they're responding to someone saying that they found out the friend's identity, which is John Michael Halford. And they're responding to them and saying, John Michael Halford was not crystal clean. He had a record and owed a lot of money to people. The detective had told me he was also on drugs. So this is a person saying that they were talking to the detective working on this case. It's been about six to seven years since you posted about her, but I'm new to this site and just 
came across the thread. I'm not sure how much to post in a public forum. I have some knowledge about the case and the quote Michael people are referring to is John Michael Halford, who is around age 40 now. He was a coworker of Kelly's and after he got fired, she quit and they were going to start a cleaning business together. I do know he owed people a lot of money and he did drugs. At work though, he came across as a trustworthy person to the point he was able to take advantage of one of the other coworkers who was disabled and had learning disabilities. He, being John Michael Halford, was able to talk her out of approximately $10,000 in 401k money. Apparently on the night Kelly disappeared, she went to see him to get money from him for the cleaning business. She was never seen again. It's interesting that he was also involved in his family's funeral and cremation business, Sittler Halford. The police did consider him a suspect, but could never find hard evidence. He is now living in Colorado, going by John, and a couple of years ago started another funeral business there with his new wife and her three young kids. Poor Kelly. According to her daughter, she was happily married, by the way. She was about 16 years older than Michael, but may have had a crush on him anyway, if that means anything. And then, two years later, February of 2021, member S. Mommy 3 responds to the above user and says, Hello, I am new to this site. Kelly was a friend of mine. We worked together for a couple of years. A lot of what you have stated here is correct. I find it interesting that Michael's parents own a crematory. The detectives, I don't think, pursued this much. I miss Kelly so much. There's no way she would have left her kids or husband. I knew that her and her husband had a good marriage. He was a very hard worker at American Airlines for years. He took good care of Kelly. I think it all stems back to Michael. I think that's where police need to shift their focus. Prayers the family get some answers. And then in January of 2023, a member states, I am very curious why Michael was never investigated. Did he have an alibi for that night? I'm concluding from the reports he was the very last person to see her alive. And was he the one who claimed she had cash on her? Seems very odd to me that he wasn't fully investigated, especially knowing he had access to a crematory. Did the investigators know that detail at the time? And then... We get to October of 2023. A member posts, they are now searching for him and his family in Colorado. They found 120, that's not right. They found 115 decomposing bodies in one of his funeral homes in Penrose, Colorado. So that's the end of the thread. Kelly Harris's disappearance remains unsolved. And like the members on WebSleuth said, it's important to mention that John Halford was the funeral director at Sittler Halford Funeral Home in Tulsa, and the owner of this funeral home was listed as Halford Cremation and Funeral Options, LLC, which was owned by him and his family. And I think that's important to mention because if someone can hide 115 bodies from authorities and lie to those families, to their faces for months, possibly years, I wouldn't put it past him to hide one more body. I also ended up finding one of Kelly's children on Facebook and messaging them directly. I wasn't expecting a response, but they actually confirmed exactly what I was looking for. I asked them, was John Michael Halford a suspect in your mother's disappearance and are police still working on the case? They responded, quote, I don't know if he was a suspect, but he was a person of interest and they questioned. They said he seemed shady but they couldn't find anything he had done wrong. And no, they haven't worked the case for some time. It went cold. So from all of this, I hope that the investigation into John's funeral home at least sparks renewed interest into Kelly Harris's disappearance, especially because John was a person of interest. And whether or not John is involved, I hope they open this case back up and start working on it. Now we're going to move on to what we know about this active investigation 
into John's Colorado funeral home. I can't find anything of substance on John from 2012 to 2015, but I do know that John met his current wife, Carrie, in Oklahoma during those years. And in 2016, she and her children and John moved to Colorado Springs. In August of 2017, they were issued a registration to provide funeral services in Colorado. John had multiple locations registered to perform funeral services, and that was in Colorado Springs and Penrose. The Penrose location, where the 115 bodies were found, its registration expired on November 30th, 2022. Their last post on social media on the Return to Nature Funeral Home Instagram was made a month prior to that, on October 21st, 2022. But keep in mind, they were still holding funeral services for people. The most recent obituary on their site is from August of this year. So technically, they were still allowed to have funeral services at the Colorado Springs location, just not the Penrose location. John and his wife, Carrie, own their funeral business and rent these buildings under their company, Halford Homes, LLC. That company owes about $5,000 in property taxes from 2022 on the Penrose property. And on October 1st of this year, the LLC was declared delinquent for failing to file a routine reporting form that was due at the end of July. On top of that, the Associated Press reported that they were evicted from one of their properties because they owe around $97,000 in rent. At some point, John updated the Return to Nature website and announced that as of July 2023, they were no longer offering cremation services. These cremation services were actually outsourced to other businesses because Return to Nature could not perform cremations. They didn't have the machinery to do that or the licenses or anything, so they were outsourcing that. However, the crematory that they were outsourcing to, they stopped working with them roughly a year ago because John owes them tens of thousands of dollars. So, if the crematorium was refusing to work with John Halford, how are the families still getting the ashes of their loved ones? Well, everyone thinks that they weren't. John was allegedly pocketing the money and sending them fake ashes. And because of everything I've just told you about, you're probably like, oh, this guy's definitely been charged and arrested, right? No. He has not. He has not been charged with anything, even though the FBI and the Colorado National Guard or the military in Colorado is literally helping fix this entire mess and investigate. It's been over a week, still no charges, and authorities are being so tight-lipped about this. But fortunately, the families are speaking out. So now I want to read some stories from the families that have come out about their experience with Return to Nature. This article is by the Associated Press. It's titled, At Colorado Funeral Home Where 115 Decaying Bodies Found, Troubles Went Unnoticed by Regulators. Mary Simmons of Florence, Colorado, said she had a good experience with Return to Nature after her mother died in 2018. She asked the funeral home to cremate the remains, with Medicaid covering the costs. She went back when her husband, also on Medicaid, died in August. She was asked to pay up front 
and told she'd be reimbursed when the funeral company got paid by Medicaid. That was like my first red flag, said Simmons. I was a housewife. There's no money here. She recalled her brother telling the company, we are just going to wait for Medicaid. Return to Nature insisted, asking for half payments. A week before law enforcement raided the funeral home, the company sent her a $1,411 invoice. Her husband's ashes never arrived, and she can't help but think his body is among the 115 law enforcement is trying to identify. Unlike nearly all other states, Colorado's funeral homes aren't routinely inspected. Those who run them don't have to graduate high school, pass an exam, or apprentice. Okay, here's more information about the eviction. I couldn't find this at first. The funeral home was later evicted from its Colorado Springs location in May for not paying rent, according to court documents and landlord Mike Kinney with Kinney and Company, which he said is owed $120,000. John and Carrie Halford, who Kinney said also lived at the property, filed a counterclaim with allegations including breach of contract and intimidation. Okay, so in June, in June of this year, a judge issued a $21,000 judgment against Return to Nature for not paying for, quote, a couple hundred cremations, according to public records and attorney Lisa Epps with Wilbert Funeral Services. Wilbert Funeral Services has been doing cremations on return to nature's behalf. So the Wilbert Funeral Services was the one doing the cremations. So there's additional information about Mary Simmons' story in this, in another AP article. So as the news broke, Mary Simmons, 47, couldn't help but wonder if her husband was inside the building. Daryl Simmons had lung cancer and died of pneumonia in August, a few months shy of their 13th anniversary. Mary Simmons hired Return to Nature Funeral Home to cremate him, but the ashes never arrived. Sitting in the rocking chairs that Simmons and her husband spent long hours in at their home in nearby Florence, Colorado, she remembered him proposing to her by running, sliding on his knees, and popping open a box with a rock inside, and the small pond he built with a trickle of water to calm her anxiety. She'd finally begun to turn the corner of grieving, she said. Quote, suddenly it's like, oh my god. I've lost him all over again, Simmons said through tears. It's like the grieving process is starting all over again. Police told Simmons the process of finding out whether her husband's body was in the building would be slow, she said. The FBI was bringing in teams with additional training and specialized equipment that process scenes of national magnitude, such as major airline disasters, Denver-based FBI special agent in charge Mark McCallick said. This next story comes from Denver 7, ABC, and this article says family fights for Colorado funeral directors to be licensed amid return to nature investigation. Abby Swobland used return to nature when her mother Sally passed away on August 5th. Quote, oh my gosh, Sally was one of the funniest people you could ever meet. She's very sassy, said what was on her mind, said Swobland. She had some lung problems and breathing problems, and so those were just getting worse. Swoveland said she was her mother's caretaker until a fall fractured Sally's pelvis. She died soon after the fall. Quote, even if you have time with them with failing health, and you know what the outcome is going to be, you're still never ever prepared for it. Ever, Swoveland said. Swoveland said her mother wanted to be cremated, so she took time selecting a funeral home that could cremate Sally locally. Quote, when I found Return to Nature and called them, they had great reviews on Google, too. Everyone said they were great. They called me right back and were very kind, Swoveland recalled. 
I specifically asked them about if the cremation would be done in town, and they assured me that yes, while they didn't own their own crematorium, they had partnerships with people in town, and that it all would be handled locally. Came to find out later that wasn't true. Swoblin said she had to follow up with Return to Nature in order to obtain her mother's ashes. Quote, They just handed me a box with their ashes in them and a folder that had a death certificate in it. I came to find out that there should have been a certificate of cremation, and maybe some other things included that were not, said Swoveland. As Swoveland watched the news unfold about Return to Nature being under investigation, she was horrified. Quote, we were just moving and walking with our grief and maybe feeling a little better, and this just came and took us back to the beginning. We decided to make a call to the crematorium listed on her death certificate, and they had no record of my mother. So we don't know what happened, where she is. Obviously, that box that I have is not her. Swovelin feels disgusted and sick that funeral directors are not licensed in Colorado. Quote, one of the things that first came up for me was shame and failure and feeling like I had failed my mom in choosing these people. But then I have to recognize, no, I was duped, Swovelin said. You have to have a license to drive a car, but you don't have to to run a funeral home. Unbelievable. Quote, I'm trying to get out here and make this story known and help affect change. So this never ever happens to another family. We as a state need to do better in protecting ourselves, our citizens, and I'll do whatever I can to help see this through. My heart is so, so heavy with this and I carry that around every day. Swovelin claims part of the promise made by Return to Nature Funeral Home was that a tree would be planted in honor of the descendants. She is spearheading an effort to plant those trees for the 100 plus people who were found inside of the funeral home. A GoFundMe fundraiser states the goal is to raise money and plant the trees in order to create a memorial. This is one of the last articles I could find of family members speaking out, and this is by the Denver Post. The title says, This Colorado family wanted a green cremation for their mother. Now they wonder if they really received her ashes. Jesse Elliott knew his mother wanted a green burial after her death. A Buddhist and environmentalist, Young Anderson, who died in June at 76, requested her ashes be spread on the Hawaiian island of Oahu, where she lived for many years. So Elliott turned to the Return to Nature Funeral Home, a Colorado Springs-based facility specializing in natural burial services. He immediately had suspicions. The owners, John and Carrie Halford, would never let him stop by the funeral home, Elliot said. When they dropped off his mother's ashes, the former service members said they felt far too heavy to be his 92-pound mom. He probably wasn't allowed to go to the funeral home because they were evicted. That's just my guess. Anderson's death certificate said Return to Nature had used Wilbert Funeral Services for the cremation, but on Friday, after authorities found at least 115 improperly stored bodies at the funeral home's Penrose location, Elliot wanted to check on this arrangement. Quote, I'm sorry, we did not handle your mother's remains, Elliot said a Wilbert employee told him. Elliot's story raises questions about how many other families who turned to return to nature during times of grief received the services they were promised. Elliot of Woodland Park said the couple grew defensive when he and his family started questioning his mother's cremation process. When Carrie Helford dropped off the box with her supposed cremains, quote, she had this huge smile, Elliot said. Quote, of course this is your mother, he said Carrie told him, but the envelope and box Elliot received contained no metal tags normally used to track the deceased through cremation, also missing a certificate for cremation. Despite these reservations, the grieving family flew in August to scatter Anderson's remains around Diamond Head, the famous volcanic cone outside Honolulu. Elliot's brother-in-law, who also served in the military, quietly leaned over as they sprinkled the ashes. Jesse, he said. Those don't look like human remains. Elliot's heart dropped. 
His sister took some of the remains to a funeral home in Georgia, he said. Without doing a forensic test, the operator said the cremains were more than likely not human. A lawyer for Wilbert Funeral Services, the crematory listed on Anderson's death certificate, told the Denver Post on Tuesday that the company stopped working with Return to Nature in November, seven months before Anderson's death. So the crematorium stopped working with them in November of last year, so almost a year ago. Quote, we did not perform any cremations for them after that, said Lisa Epps, the company's general counsel. In March, Wilbert sued Return to Nature and its owners, saying they owed more than $18,000, court records show. Law enforcement told Elliot to hold on to the ashes as the investigation continues. Quote, I want my mother's remains back, he said, so we can do this all over again to put her to rest. So this article mentions the Sunset Mesa funeral home in Montrose, which I've done some TikTok videos about. I'm not sure if I did a Patreon video about this, but this is something I also wanted to talk about. This is not the only funeral home in Colorado who's been doing illegal, horrible things and scamming people, basically. So the Denver Post says, the licensing structure for funeral homes and crematories began in 2019 following the grisly Sunset Mesa case in Montrose. The owners of the company were arrested and charged by the U.S. Department of Justice with illegally selling body parts around the world without the family's consent. The operators, Megan Hess and Shirley Koch, were sentenced in January to 20 and 15 years in federal prison, respectively, for their roles in the scheme. This is an update about the woman who dissected and sold over 500 corpses without the family's consent. 46-year-old Megan Hess owned a funeral home in Colorado. She and her mother Shirley harvested body parts, or sometimes entire bodies, and sold them to body brokers. Their families had no idea, and they received the mixed ashes of other people, or fake ashes, or nothing at all. Some of the bodies had contagious diseases as well, but Megan lied to the body brokers and then sent them through the mail illegally. A former employee also accused Megan of extracting the gold teeth from the dead and then selling them for an extra profit. In 2014, Megan Hess sent a text to a body broker and said, quote, meeting with hospice on the 4th, opening the floodgates of donors. They have four or five deaths a day. Get ready. How about a deal on embalmed spines? $950. Megan and her mother operated this scheme for eight years. They were arrested in 2020 and had been on bonds since. Yesterday, Megan was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Her mother received a 15-year sentence. Okay, let me read y'all this. This is from the United States Attorney's Office in the District of Colorado. To give you a little more background info if you haven't heard about the Sunset Mesa case. So, Megan Hess, age 46, was sentenced to 20 years in prison after earlier pleading guilty to one count of mail fraud and aiding and abetting. According to the plea agreement from 2010 through 2018, the defendant and others stole the bodies or body parts of hundreds of victims and then sold those remains to victims purchasing the remains for body broker services. Under the auspices, I don't know what that word means, of Sunset Mesa funeral directors, the defendant would frequently meet with victims seeking cremation services for themselves or their loved ones who had died. During those meetings, the defendant and others would represent to the victims that Sunset Mesa funeral directors would cremate descendants and provide their cremated remains back to the families. The defendant and others would harvest body parts from or prepare the entire bodies of the descendants for sale and body broker services. According to the plea agreements, Hess and Koch would also ship bodies and body parts that tested positive for or belonging to people who had died from infectious diseases, including hepatitis B and C and HIV, after certifying to buyers that the remains were disease-free. These shipments would be through the mail or on commercial air flights. 
in violation of Department of Transportation regulations regarding the transportation of hazardous materials. So the FBI raided the Sunset Mesa funeral home in 2018. Apparently there was over 500 victims. The FBI, during an investigation dubbed Operation Morbid Market, ultimately tracked hundreds of bodies and body parts sold by Hess and Kosh to places as far away as Saudi Arabia. Over the course of several years, dozens of Coloradans who used Sunset Mesa were horrified to learn from federal agents that the urns in their homes didn't contain their loved ones' ashes. These women were indicted by a federal grand jury in March of 2020, and they were sentenced in January of 2023. I'm bringing this case up not only because it happened recently and in the same state, but also because I think John Halford may have been doing the exact same thing. I mean, he was allegedly not cremating the bodies and charging the families for it anyways and giving them not human remains. It's also a possibility that he was potentially selling the bodies. He said he was doing taxidermy at the Penrose location. I don't know what the fuck that means. Why would you be doing taxidermy in a building where there are 115 human bodies. That's really odd. So John Michael Halford's criminal complaint and arrest warrant was filed November 7th, 2023, and it was originally filed under seal. So the public didn't have access to this until a couple weeks after John was arrested. And for this complaint, the offense was unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. I remember seeing on Reddit shortly after the bodies were discovered at Penrose that someone had said that John Michael Halford and his family had fled to Oklahoma. And I was like, there's no way that person would know that. There's no way that they ran away. That ended up being true. They ran away to Oklahoma. So let's get into the investigation portion of this complaint. They talk about how on or about October 3rd, 2023, they were alerted about the horrific odor at 31 Warner Road in Penrose. They spoke with John the following day about gaining access to the building. He agreed to meet in person, but then failed to show. A search warrant was obtained and this led to the discovery of not 115 bodies, but 189 bodies. Side note, the official number as of now is 190 bodies. So authorities also reviewed the death certificates of the individuals found at this Penrose location. Apparently, these death certificates all said that these individuals had been cremated or buried, which obviously was not true. The discovery of 190 bodies made local and national news and has continued to be in the news cycle over the last several weeks. Return to Nature Funeral Home had given the families of loved ones their supposed cremains. Law enforcement now knows the cremains each family was given could not have been their loved one, uncovering years of fraud, theft, and the abuse of the corpses within 31 Warner Road, Penrose, Colorado. So on or about October 4th, which is when John was supposed to meet the authorities at his Penrose location, he turned off his phone and he continued to use, I believe, one of his children's phone. Authorities tracked this phone and found that it had traveled out of state and was in Oklahoma. And by the middle of October, that phone was still in Oklahoma. On October 5th, they executed a search warrant at the Colorado Springs location of Return to Nature and they found a bunch of their records that would ultimately be used against them in this investigation. On October 17th, authorities searched another residence in Colorado Springs that the Halfords had been living at, but were of course no longer there. They were in Oklahoma. 
And the landlord told investigators that the Halfords had not paid the rent, of course. And finally, on November 7th, felony arrest warrants were issued for John and Carrie Halford. Apparently, they were hiding out at John Halford's parents' house. So John and Carrie were arrested in Oklahoma and held in a jail there, and they were given a $2 million cash bond. Once they were finally extradited back to El Paso County, we finally got a unsealed criminal complaint. Let me just scroll through this with you. This is 67 pages. There is over 200 counts against John and Carrie Halford. The first four counts are for money laundering. Counts 5 through 65 are for forgery. Counts 66 through 70 are for theft. And counts 71 through 260 are abuse of a corpse. So 260 counts. So I've been taking notes anytime there was an update on the case, so I'm gonna read through that. Their first court appearance took place on Friday, November 24th, virtually. The judge found probable cause for the 190 preliminary counts of abuse of a corpse, 61 counts of forgery, and four counts of theft and money laundering. And their first appearance was scheduled for December 5th. Carrie Halford's preliminary hearing was on January 11th of this year, and I took some notes on that, and I'm just gonna read some of those. Um, again, all of this is alleged but this is what the prosecution was saying. Bodies were stored in various rooms and various types of containers. Some were wrapped in hospice blankets, some wrapped in plastic duct tape, and some were stored in black bins like you'd find at Costco. Some bodies weren't stored at anything at all, just bare on the floor, and some stored in the cardboard boxes primarily used right before cremation. One piece of evidence the state brought up was a photo of the inside of the Penrose building, which showed a bone grinder, quick creek concrete mix, and baking soda. A camera was present inside the room and outside the building, pointing out, presumably set up by John Halford. There was one terabyte of data on that surveillance system that the FBI was able to get. So thanks for that, John. Footage from September of 2023 shows John Halford allegedly wheeling a body into the Penrose building. There was bug bombs throughout the building, but obviously they were not effective. Authorities had to wear special suits and made footprints in the amount of fluids that were on the floor from these decomposing bodies. This was several inches thick of decomposition fluids. The temperature inside the building, where these 190 bodies and remains were found, was 70 degrees, and there was nothing there working to refrigerate the bodies at all. Some of the bodies the Halfords had stacked on a numbered metal industrial shelf. They had also stacked two bodies to one shelf to conserve space. There was mops, buckets, and fans present, as well as a homemade water cremation machine. The only room in the Penrose building that didn't have a body was the utility room that contained the HVAC. The most bodies per square foot had 40 bodies in one tiny area. There was black bins which held these deceased individuals that were stacked so high the Halfords had a shelf leaning on it to keep it from toppling over. There were flies and maggots in every 
larval stage in the building, there are apparently 30 to 40 bodies that have still not been identified. The earliest death was around September 15th, 2019, and the most recent death was August 22nd, 2023. This particular incident I'm about to talk about is extremely disturbing. There was a moment during Carrie Halford's preliminary hearing where the state played footage from the Penrose building. And it allegedly shows John wheeling a body, and as he wheels it through the building, there is, it's leaving track marks on the floor because of the decomposition fluid. And apparently John needed the cart that this body was on, and just like the disrespect he gave to all the other human remains, he haphazardly shoves the body off the cart, just dumps it onto the ground, and then uses that cart to transport more bodies into the building. There was a particular individual that was supposed to be buried at Pikes Peak National Cemetery. This is a military cemetery, and you have to have very high honors to get into this cemetery. And one of the families that worked with Return to Nature wanted their loved one buried at the cemetery. He was cleared to be buried at the cemetery. But authorities got a search warrant to exhume the grave at this cemetery. And when they pulled out the wooden casket and they opened it up, the body that was inside that casket wasn't even the same gender as their loved one that they had buried. There was a female inside the casket when they had buried their, well, they had thought that they buried their male loved one, not even the same sex. And that male who was supposed to be buried in this cemetery with honors was instead at the Penrose location, stacked with 189 other decomposing remains. Another small but glaring detail I caught from Carrie Halford's preliminary hearing is that investigators went over the transactions that the couple had at Home Depot, and it showed that they had purchased roughly 660 pounds of quick-crete concrete over the years. There was no other reason for this couple to be purchasing concrete. They weren't building anything. The only possible explanation was that this is what they were giving to family members, unfortunately. Also, at their preliminary hearings, the judge reduced their bond amount from $2 million to $100,000. And on January 29th, Monday, John Michael Halford bonded out of jail. So he is currently free. He had to give up his passport, but he has no family, no friends in Colorado, and the only person supporting him is a sister in Oklahoma. So I'm really surprised that the judge didn't add more stipulations. I hope he's got like a GPS tracking thing on his ankle because he has no reason to stick around in Colorado and obviously he showed that the first time. So again, John Michael Halford is currently free right now, awaiting his next court hearing, which will be on February 8th, his preliminary hearing, next week, next Thursday. And because John was able to get out of jail, bond out, I'm sure that his wife will be able to as well. And Carrie Halford's next appearance is her arraignment, scheduled for March 21st of this year at 9am. So that's about it for right now. I hope I gave you all some updates you haven't heard about, some new details, and hopefully I'll be bright and shiny next week. But yeah, I hope you all have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.